Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you yet again on this Lord's Day of Worship. Father, we ask as feeble and frail people who are dull of hearing, that you would give us ears to hear your word proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and give us eyes to see him, give us hearts that will yearn for him and desire to follow you, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses and following you so a world of the least and the lost may see Jesus and come to faith. We ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen. We are continuing in this study of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. Um, last week I, I talked about a few things in introduction to complement what Pastor Jake talked about a couple of weeks ago. And like any good TV series, I want to say previously in Ruth, um, really you can break Ruth down in that first chapter into three you know, big segments, this idea of sojourning, a going away, um, a return and an arrival. And we're going to talk about the arrival part um, this morning. But last week I talked about the road home. And I gave us three ways to look at the text that led us through uh, verse 1 to verse 18. And, and that was a road to nowhere. Uh, then a crossroads where decisions need to be made. And then I talked about specifically Ruth and the road less traveled. Um, I hope you were able to see that this is pointing to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. The road home is, home is Jesus. That's where we all want to go. And in Ruth, you have this idea of um, a love story. And it's not just a love story between Ruth and Boaz, but it's God's love story for us. And I introduced you to the word hesed in, in Hebrew. And hesed is hard to describe in one word. If you look up the word and you do a word study in the Hebrew, and I don't want to belabor this point, but hesed is so complex. It is faithfulness, it is loyalty, it is grace, it is compassion, and most of all, it is loving kindness. This is God's love story for His people. The people who He elected before the foundation of the world, whom He gave to the Son to then redeem on the cross that we would be one day glorified and presented back to the Father. And so Ruth takes this overarching theme about the loving kindness, the hesed of the Lord for His people. Ordinary people living ordinary lives using ordinary means to get by. And so I want to lay that little bit of groundwork for you this morning. We saw where Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem. And and the reason for them leaving is to find that bread, that grass that's greener on the other side. And it's very key that you understand in this whole book, the last verse that is within Judges. Because in the day of Judges, there was no king of Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Naomi, one of the characters here, is still living that way of life. She's doing what is right in her own eyes. 
I mentioned last week, sometimes she's halfway between her faith in God and halfway between the ways of the world. And we as Christians can't live there. That is a road that leads to nowhere. And so we need to make that decision to follow Christ. So this is God's story. And it's our story. We can see ourselves in the different characters here. We can see ourselves in Naomi. We can see ourselves in Ruth. We may see ourselves in Boaz, a character that is yet to come. But it will relate to every one of us before this is through. And hopefully it will help us to grow in the faith and really resemble Christ in the end. The story this morning that I'm taking up here is about being home and away. This idea of coming home but still remaining away. It's an epidemic within the church today. Many of us will come on a Sunday morning and we'll show up. We'll do all the right things, but our hearts are far from the Lord and His people. We, we honor God with our lips, as the Scripture says, but our hearts are far from Him. And so I hope this is a, an encouragement to you this morning that not only do we need to come and gather together, come home to Jesus, but we need to lay everything at His feet. We, we need to worship them. We're going to see a dichotomy of two people in the text this morning, Naomi and Ruth. We're, we're going to talk about three B's. Buzz, bitterness, and barley harvest. There you go, three B's. Buzz, bitterness, and barley harvest. And hopefully you can um, keep those separate and straight as we're going through this. Our text ended last week um, with Ruth pushing back on one final salvo from Naomi. See your sister? Go, go follow her. Go, go back home. Again, this is straddling the fence of Christianity in the world. Naomi thinking that she's got a better shot at finding a husband, finding things that this world can provide for, than what she would get going back to Bethlehem. Back to where God resides. Back to the people of God. And so she pushes her off. But Ruth, if you remember, she says, No, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She gives a profession of faith and she pushes back. And our text ended last week is when Naomi saw that she was determined, meaning strong in character, to go with her, she said no more. Now as I was reading this, this, this text gives us just what we need to know, but it leaves some voids in it. And the first question that I had when I'm looking at this is, it's about a seven to ten day journey from where they are in Moab to get back to Bethlehem. That's a long way for two women to go. And it says that Naomi is silent. She, she said no more. But was this a quiet walk all the way? Really, if you understand the character of Naomi from this, she's going to talk about her own bitterness. She, she's tried to push Ruth away. Let me, let me go about my own business. Was it, a, was it a silent walk? What did they talk about along the way? 
you know, one of the things that the text doesn't say and you don't know about, but you have to ask the question, Naomi should have asked Ruth, how, how did you come to believe God? How did you come to faith in Yahweh? What makes you want my people to be your people and my God, Yahweh, to be your God? How, how did that happen? And regardless of how it happens, I'm rejoicing in this because this is what the people of God are supposed to do. They're to follow God, follow Christ, and tell other people about Him in both word and deed. Naomi doesn't do that. Did they talk about that on the way? I kind of hesitate to think that they didn't. And so they travel along in what may have been silence. Ruth and Naomi are from different places. Different places geographically, nationally, and even where they are in their relationship to God at this point. As I said, Naomi's straddling the fence here. She's, she's struggling. And, and brothers and sisters, don't critique her, because we've been there too. Okay? When the going gets tough, sometimes we don't want to get going. We, we want to handle it just like the people of Israel. There's no king in our hearts at that point in time. There's no Jesus directing us. And we want to do what's right in our own eyes. And it gets us in trouble. And so the very things that we could critique Naomi on, we need to be careful and look at ourselves in the mirror. So they're traveling along and they, they get to Bethlehem. Have you ever lived in a small town? Have you ever visited small towns? It doesn't take long for you to be identified as an outsider, as a visitor, right? It doesn't take that long. Alistair Begg talks, tells a story when he's covering this particular material, and he talks about being a boy in Scotland and going up to the Highlands. And there's something they did regularly. And the way it sounds like is they did camping there. And there's a series of four towns. They're really four little villages. And, and there's no demarcation between the four places. But the people know what town or village they belong to. And he said they could come to the first one and, and make a stop. That's usually where they would stop first. They'll, they'd get fuel and they'd get some things. But by the time they got through the other two to the last little town, he said there was people on bicycles and they're at the edge of, of the village, greeting them. It, it, it was this buzz that was taking place. It doesn't take long for news to get out about a visitor. And so Bethlehem becomes a stir. And the interesting thing about this whole text is that the central voices and characters in this is all women. So men, we've got to be patient here. It's all about the women. Elimelech's dead. Melon's dead. Kilion's dead. It's just two women that go back and they're greeted by all women. You see no men in this. And so the town is a buzz. That word, the whole town or whole village is stirred up. That means literally a humming, a buzzing sound. Word is traveling fast around. But what's being said? What is the buzz? 
there's really only one question. Could this be Naomi? Is this Naomi? And so you wonder, don't you? I did. Why are they asking, could this be Naomi? Does she look different? Maybe the stress of life. Maybe all the circumstances that she's been through. The hurt, the pain of losing a husband, losing children have mounted on her. One of the things that is really interesting as an aside, if you look at a president when he enters into office and you look at them after four years or after eight years, there's a big change. Is it or not? We, we talk about it being the most powerful position in the world. But it is the most stressful. And I don't care which party that you may affiliate with. It doesn't matter. That is the hardest job in the world. That 332 million people would become your responsibility. And so Naomi, in a small way, an ordinary person living an ordinary life, has had circumstances heaped upon her. She looks different. The text doesn't say, but you can't help but wonder, was her hair grayer? Had she put on a little bit of weight? Or maybe she lost weight due to the stress. Regardless to say there was something about her that people recognized. And she was different. But that's all they recognize. All they're talking about is her. They're talking about her outward appearance. But are they talking about her heart and their heart? And so the text doesn't say anything that I'm about to say to you, but I do think this is a good reminder for us about being welcoming, about showing Christian or godly hospitality in this place. She obviously looked different. And when you go through the the text further on that we'll get to, it talks about her bitterness. But, But do you recognize people when they come in here to this place to worship? whether they've been here for a long time or they're a visitor. Do you welcome them? Do you look at them as being an image bearer, one created in the image of God, whether they're lost or whether they've been found? Do you take the time to go up and speak with them, whether before the service or after the service? Or or do you have more important matters that lead you to just jet out of here? Welcoming people in, showing godly hospitality takes some effort on our parts. But we should be desirous for that because Jesus took us who were far away and brought us home. He showed us loving kindness. He showed us Hesed. And so that's just an aside for now. I, I, I do wish and pray that we would be a people. One of the comments we do get is that we're a warm and inviting place. But let's cultivate those relationships more. Let's not just talk about people. Let's talk with people. Let's not talk about just the things of life, but how the gospel restores and heals and forgives. Have that type of fellowship. So the town was a buzz. 
And it got around fast, kind of like cheers. Everyone knows your name. So for Naomi, there was no coming back into Bethlehem incognito. She couldn't hide it. She knew before long that she would hear her name. And that's where we get into the next thing. We're moving away from the buzz and the talk of the town to her bitterness, which is a continuation of the talk of the town, but she addresses that talk. And so she hears her name. And her name is probably being called out by old close friends. Maybe extended family members. Maybe people that she attended um, temple worship with. The community around. And, and she hears that name, Naomi. I talked a little bit last week about what's in a name. And her name means pleasant. Back in that time, the aspirations of parents, fathers and mothers would be expressed in the name that they gave to their child. So her parents named her Pleasant, thinking that she would be bring the pleasantness of God to the people around her. Kind of a joy, a contentment. And she hears that name and she thinks, no, that's not who I am. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Now the question has to be asked. Does she have a right to be bitter? Does she? One of the reasons I had that passage from Exodus read this morning going into this one. If you noticed in that passage in Exodus, it begins with God triumphing over the enemy of His people. He, he does away with Pharaoh and his armies. It's, it's the final act of deliverance out of the house of slavery, out of the house of bondage. They, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. God, who shows Hesed, loving kindness for His people, does a miraculous thing to deliver them showing His great salvation for them. And then the passage shifts gears and it says that Moses leads them out. And, and they come to Mara, a place of bitter waters. But, but here's the thing that you've got to remember here. Do you remember how the people of Israel traveled? God led the way through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence was visible to them. So here is a deliverance and salvation that takes place on the one hand and being led out in a way that is visual to them. And then they come to a place where the water is bitter. And what do they do? What do we do when things don't necessarily go our way? We grumble and we complain. But the Word of God is trying to tell us, brothers and sisters, that if we live by His Word, that we remember what He has done for us, then we simply look at the situation with a completely different view, a different vision. 
So Lord, the water's bitter. Give us drink. Petition the Lord, believing that He's going to do that. But they grumble and complain. But in spite of that, God's loving kindness comes through. What does He tell Moses? He shows him a log. He puts it in. That's a picture of the cross. That takes the bitter water and makes it sweet. And they all drink. But the thing that's lacking there is gratitude in that passage. Gratitude for making bitter waters sweet. And yet it closes with something that is just phenomenal. There's a promise there that if you follow me, you obey me, I will be the Lord your healer. That is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord our healer. And then the very next place, just to put an exclamation point on it, he takes him to Elam, an oasis. He's wanting to show his goodness and his loving kindness to the people of Israel. This is what he does. And the reason I bring this whole thing up is does Naomi have a right to be bitter? She has a right to grieve. She's lost a husband and she's lost two sons. She may be depressed. She may be in need of companionship, fellowship. She may be in need of someone to come alongside her, giving her the Word of God. And through that person, seeing Jehovah as Jehovah Rapha and healing and restoring her. That's what she needs. Naomi needs Jesus. But does she have a right to be bitter? Hebrews chapter twelve fifteen says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Bitterness spreads. There's nothing here that says that bitterness is a good thing. I talked about a dichotomy between two people. You have Ruth on the one hand and Naomi on the other. Ruth says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because the Almighty has caused calamity on me. He has afflicted me, so to speak. She sees the right to be bitter. But she doesn't. What did Ruth do on the road? Naomi says, I went away full and I came back empty. Ruth could say... That she was full in Moab. But what, what happened, the difference between the two is when they come to God, Ruth opens her hands, brings her emptiness, and lays it all before Christ. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. There, there is nothing for her to hold on to. She lays it all down. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. That would be Ruth's approach. Naomi says, I went away full and I came back empty. But you go, how does she go away full? 
She didn't have bread. There was famine in the land. She didn't have that. What she did have is she had a husband and she had two kids. And she put all of her eggs in that basket of family. How many of us make our families more important than our relationship with God? Now hear me carefully. Your family is important. God gives us children in Christian homes and that is supposed to be our primary mission field. That's whom we are to first and foremost disciple to look to bring up to Christ in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So don't don't hear something that I don't want you to hear. But sometimes we idolize our kids. We build our worlds around our kids or our husband and their career. But Naomi needs to know, and we need to know, that there is one king, and that's King Jesus. So does she have a right to be bitter? I don't believe she does. I don't believe that she should hold on to that bitterness. She says she comes back empty. She has no husband. She has no children. But God is a father to the fatherless. He is a husband to the widow. He is the provider for all his children. He does not hold back. He meets all our needs according to his riches and glory. So I don't think she has a right to hold on and cling to her bitterness. She needs to be like Ruth and cling to God. Naomi believes that the Almighty has dealt bitterly with her. And so she uses this term Almighty, which is Shaddai, El Shaddai. And also the name of the Lord, the covenant-keeping God. And she does get one thing right. She ascribes to God sovereignty in this circumstance. But she doesn't see sovereignty with grace. And that's who our God is. He is a sovereign God and He is gracious to us. Naomi ascribes that sovereignty. But it's a sovereignty without grace, omnipotence without power, or with, uh, omnipotent power without compassion, or justice without mercy. Bitterness can cause a blind spot in our lives, brothers and sisters. It's when we begin to lean on our own understanding and as opposite of the Proverbs, not acknowledge Him in all our ways. And that's the road to nowhere. That is doing what is right in our own eyes. We may incur times of grief and sorrow, but we need to understand Hesed here in that there is grace, there's peace, there's comfort, there's healing, there's loving kindness that restores us. We should be looking like Ruth looks and looks to things above and not to the circumstances around us. Naomi and Ruth both came empty, but it was only Ruth that was totally empty-handed. Naomi is clinging to her bitterness. We all too often do that. C.S. Lewis gives a great illustration in The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, 
it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go around making mud pies in a slum because we cannot understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are too easily pleased. Sometimes we see the big things and we miss the little things. Sometimes we see the little things and we miss the big thing. In Naomi's point, uh, from Naomi's point of view, she's kind of missing both the big things and the little things. She should have known how God works in an overarching manner and is always looking for good. She should have recognized when she used the word Mara and bitterness what God did before Mara and after and be able to apply that to her own life. The big things. The little things she should have understood when she was coming back to Bethlehem. She had family there. She had fellow members of the body there. She had a place to worship. She had a place to live. And what you don't see until later in the book, she had an inheritance there. Everything was good. She had a lot to live for. And yet she's holding on to her bitterness. Sometimes God takes away things in our lives because of our sinful character or our sinful behavior. And that is to direct ourselves back toward Him. Other times, He will take away things that we may have made too precious for us, for ourselves. He doesn't do it because He hates us or He wants to get even with us. No, we are His children. And as such, He loves us through our losses and wants us to receive something far more precious, far greater than the little trinkets that may keep us from Him. Sometimes this is hard for us to understand. It was hard for Naomi to understand in her bitterness. But one thing that we need to recognize in Scripture, and probably the thing that kept her most bitterness was death. Death of her husband, death of her sons. But out of death in Scripture comes life. We see that with Paul who witnessed the stoning of Stephen that had to be a key element that brought him to know the truth when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road face to face. Life comes out of death. We see that in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He gave His life. He died that others may live. Those deaths that happened in Naomi's life couldn't help but contribute to Ruth coming to life and having faith. This passage ends with a reference to the barley harvest. We've talked about the buzz. We've talked about the bitterness. Now it talks about a barley harvest. And, And there's an interesting bookend here. We start with famine 
and we end with a harvest. God is wanting to show us, show Ruth, Naomi, and the people that there's a bigger thing that's going on here. That God is showing His loving kindness. He's not going to discipline forever. He's going to bring forth bread, sustenance into their lives. There's going to be a renewal that takes place spiritually here. The barley harvest is significant because the time of the barley harvest, listen, is from late March to early April. What occurs from late March to early April? It's Easter. It's Passover. Just another reminder, you've had this famine. When you were the people of Israel, you came to bitter water. But I'm a loving and kind God. I put a log in the water, made it sweet. Now I'm going to give you bread. And I'm going to do it during Passover so that you can remember the Passover meal was a time of remembrance. Taking the lamb, slaughtering the lamb, putting the blood over the mantle that death might pass over, that there would be life out of death. The other thing that's on the plate for the Passover are bitter herbs. It's, it's almost pointed towards Naomi and her bitterness. Bitterness is what you have when you are apart from God. When you're in slavery to sin. That, that bitterness is to remind the people of Israel, those bitter herbs, is this is what life is like without God. Life with Him is through that Lamb. And now I have life. Now my circumstances change. I will have an inheritance. I will have God Himself. This is the importance of the barley harvest. It is the close of chapter 1, but it is a new beginning for Naomi, for Ruth, and entering onto the scene, Boaz, which will be a type of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we think about Ruth... And think about our own situations. Are there areas that we can show more hospitality? That we can begin to initiate conversations? That the gospel would be the buzz that we are known for? Will we look at our own lives and the things that are keeping us bitter and keeping us distant from God? Keeping us away instead of coming home to Jesus? And do we remember, as we're about to do with this Lord's Supper, of the O great deliverance and salvation that He gives us in Christ that we remember through bread and through wine. It's a harvest. It's a celebration for us to have. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank You this morning for this word from the book of Ruth. We pray that You'll speak to our hearts and help us to live lives that reflect Yours that we would look to the least and the lost, that we would look to encourage those who may have bitterness to come alongside them, to show them that the gospel heals, renews, restores, and if forgiveness is necessary, forgives. Father, I do pray that you would grant us your loving kindness
each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.